Thank you for joining Bevel Talk, Season 1, Episode 4. Pipe welding in the field can be challenging. Today, we're talking about strategies to cope with the shortage in skilled labor. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Bevel Talk, the podcast where we discuss the everyday challenges of welding pipe in the field. We're here with Justin Morse and Chris Reidner from Kiwit. We've also got Jim Byrne and Danny Mortensen from Miller Electric. Today, we're going to discuss labor. So, Justin and Chris, we know you've got lots of experience with with mega projects, smaller projects, being welders on job sites, overseeing welders. So talk to us a little bit about how many just welders are on a typical Kiwit job site. And that that number could be all over the place, honestly. We, I've been involved with projects where we had as little as two welders, um, something small but you know, highly specialized to projects where we've had five, 600 welders, uh, maybe even more if you count some of the other partners on, on the job site. So within like the power segment in particular, those jobs typically number 60 to 150 welders, I would say, across all trades. And then obviously you, know, you go up to some of the big uh, OGC type projects or mega projects, that's when you start getting the multiple hundreds of welders. So with those welders, how long are they typically on these mid-sized to large projects? Are we talking six months, two years? Uh, about yeah, six to eight months to upwards of uh, two years, maybe even a little bit better than two years on the real big projects. Yeah, a typical well, – for us, a power plant, you're looking at primary mechanical construction lasting a little over a year. A year. Um, and then if you look at just welding specific, it's – Usually right around nine to 13 months or so. I mean, that's a good amount of time for a job and for, for a welder. Yeah, um, yeah, it's steady employment for sure. So with these jobs and with these welders, what trades and what roles are they playing on the job site? Obviously, they're welding, but what else are they doing on a job site day to day? It depends on on whether you're talking a union model or a non-union model, but but generally within call it like the pipe trades, um, they could be fitting pipe. Um, obviously, before you weld it, you got to got you got to rig it, get it into place, uh, get it in supports or hangers or whatever, and then and then do your final fit, get it ready for welds. That, that's a big part of our our labor on the job is doing that. Um, our dedicated welders to the large bore piping, we really try to have them weld. I mean, that's what we're, we're paying them to do. Uh, it's hard to find good welders as it is. So once we start having them fit pipe, that's pulling away for productivity in other areas. Just being a good tradesman. When you're on a, a large industrial project, you know, again, going back to some of the previous episodes, we were talking about maybe taking it for granted. We see it a lot every day, but, but safety is huge. Um, being physically aware of your surroundings when you have that many cranes, that many people moving and you're moving that heavy of an object, you know, for example, on a boiler, we're setting two bundles that could weigh a single two bundle could be half a million pounds, you know, and you might be welding pipe right next to a pick that's doing that. So having the spatial awareness and, ex- and experience and understanding that things might look calm, um, but you're only, you know, so far away from having potentially being exposed to uh, an injury and and being safe and understanding what safety truly means is is important. We always on the jobs that I had on, we always had a motto. If it's hot, it burns. If it's sharp, it cuts. If it's up, it falls. And if it's heavy, it crushes. So you've got these guys on these jobs. You've got, they've got to have spatial awareness. They've got to have skills. They've got to understand what's going on. Um, 
when do you start to work with locals? These jobs are in the planning stages. Sometimes you mentioned earlier, you know, a million man hours of actual planning before you start to break ground. When do you start to work with local unions or local labor or local people to start filling and backfilling jobs when you're coming into town? We like to get there coupled with a few months out from uh, the first welders getting hired on. You come in any earlier and anything that we teach can get can get lost just because of the, the time gap that goes between us being there and, and the need for the welders. And again, if you, if you train welders up too early um, and they're waiting on a call to come through to come to the job site and another call comes in earlier, we might lose them. So we, we try to focus our training in the two to three month period leading up to the need for the first welders. Um, so it's time correctly that the skill sets are retained from the training and any training the welders do, um, they're, they're ready for, for those calls to come out. Um, sometimes we'll go out a couple times. Sometimes you know, might be a kind of a meet and greet, initial expectations, and then set a timeline for training. And sometimes it's just a one shot, come out, do the training for a few days, um, and then and then go from there. Um, but by no means, you know, is that initial training kind of the end of the story. Once we were up and running, doing construction on the job site, and we're hiring, actively hiring welders, uh, a welding manager on the site will typically continue to interface with the local and provide some feedback provide follow-up training as DMB and also just provide some uh, on-the-job training. I mean, those valuable form of training. You can mold it in a test booth, but you go up in a rack with a pipe um, in real-world conditions, and uh, things get real, real quick. So they really come in and help bridge that gap as well. The XMT350 Field Pro with Polarity Reversing Welding System from Miller. Let's welders change polarity and processes with the push of a button at the stick, TIG remote, or wire feeder, eliminating the need to walk back to the power source to swap leads to change polarity. Learn more at MillerWelds.com slash ArcReach. I have a question, Justin. Um, <clears throat> what percentages of local labor versus travelers do you bring into these jobs? I know a lot of these guys may not be local when you have trouble finding labor. I'm sure that varies, but is there anything that drives that more or less? Uh, it's a little hard to put a, put a number on because a couple of you can look at it, but typically what drives the need for travelers is just building something in the area with smaller uh, smaller locals or smaller craft presence, whether we're talking union or non-union. Generally, uh, a bunch of the power plants we're building right now are pretty rural areas. So, you know, those locals might only have a uh, handful of welders maybe sitting on the bench. So in that, that sense, that local is actively bringing in travelers um, to the extent that Hewitt actually brings their own people along with them, is, is uh, especially on the power side, is actually pretty limited. Uh, we really try to go through the local first, let them man the job, um, and then if we need to, we'll help you know hook the local up with certain people that we've used in the past that are are, are good players and and know know our business model. Um, so it's a little bit all over the place, but typically it's it's on the union to provide the craft, whether they are pulling in travelers or not. I know uh, bringing in travelers can bring in a lot of other issues too. I mean, you got to find housing for them. Um, obviously, they're away from home. There's probably um, some travel cost or something like that that would be involved. Yeah, yeah, it, it starts becoming a much larger, I don't call it problem, um, but definitely from a management standpoint, a lot more things you have to solve. When you start looking at these mega projects, one of the first things the project team starts asking is, 
what's the housing situation in a 50 mile radius or a hundred mile radius? You know, what cities can we pull from? Often more and more, we're building projects in smaller areas where part of part of our project is to build some sort of housing or, or work with a, a local development, possibly build some housing or RV camps or whatever. But if we can't have enough people get close enough for the project to build the work, people make the project happen. And if you can't figure that out, you know, that project's not going to get off the ground if you can't get the people there. So it's definitely a huge, huge focus for, for any of our large projects. I would imagine that um, it's it's the timing on getting your product in for the welding because I know you know during the phase cycle of these jobs as they progress the amount of welding progresses so at, at certain points you go from a few welders to a lot of welders back to a few welders when they're starting to wrap up um, how do you handle those types of situations? Well, we first start with projections. Um, so we'll have a, what we call a commodity schedule. And that really is a fancy way of saying we have to make X number of welds on this date. So if you look at the life cycle of a project, just like you were saying, Jim, you start out with a few welds. You're going to ramp up. At some point, you're going to have a bunch of welds every day happening, and that's going to taper back off. From there, we take historical data um, of production rates, and then we can tie that back to craft needs. So we'll start with a, a sort of basic uh, manpower needs. So we know in, in a month where we need to hire 10 welders and six months we have to hire 40 welders. Big thing when you look at those curves is we try to smooth them out as much as possible. So if you hit peak and all of a sudden you're saying, I've got to hire 10 this week, I have to lay five off, and I have to hire 20 the following week, you know, that that's a recipe for disaster. So you got to take that raw data, you get your raw curve, smooth that out. And then from there, it's just a lot of communication with the local. Um, so if you're, if you're talking union model, it's communicating, you know, just be aware in a month we're going to need 40, then we're going to need 50, then we're going to need 40 or whatever those numbers are so they can get people in the pipeline training, testing at the hall so when you're ready that they're ready. Um, on the open shop side, it's working with our recruiters in a very similar fashion, you know, like giving them the information of we're going to need so many people over this time span and then they can go hunt those people out and have a backlog ready so, um, you know, if you're hitting your targets that they got the people in the wings for you. And, and you, there must be a lot of coordination that takes place between the welding groups and, and your structural guys. You got to have more QA guys if you're producing more welds in order to do the inspections properly so that they're not holding it up. You got to have more material being handled. And then you produce welds. Um, there's some heating that takes place in, in other operations. So there's got to be an awful lot of coordination taking place on that manpower on the job, I would expect. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Uh, to, to add to that, I mean, when we made this swatch, uh, switch to advanced welding processes where we're, we're depositing a lot more metal, our depositions rate went up, everything changed from our, our crew structures, not just from a welding perspective, from a fitting perspective. You know, we went from needing six welders to one fitter, and now we need six fitters to one welder because we're welding so much faster. So communicating with fitting superintendents and, and the pipe managers on the projects is, is has been crucial and we are continuing to try to evolve to change the industry on, on the way welding operates now on these big projects. Now, these projects are definitely all about planning. You, you step foot on any one of our projects, you know, and at some point in the day, there's going to be some sort of coordination meeting where you get all the, 
um, superintendents, uh, field engineers for all the different crafts in one room and, and walk through their plan for the next day or a couple days. Uh, make sure that, you know, that they, A, they got the resources, but there's no conflicts with working, putting too many people in one area for safety reasons or just even productivity reasons. Um, and then we have our three-week or 90-day schedules. Um, really goes back to planning. So you mentioned that, you know, you guys, with these changes to advanced processes, you went from from six welders to one fitter to one welder for six fitters. Do you have any outreach to the local tech schools or the local UAs um, about advanced processes, about your welding procedures, what you're doing, so they can start prepping ahead of time? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we paired up uh, well, with Miller directly, and we try to go directly to these local unions, uh, to, to their senior management, and, and try to explain, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what the industry is making a shift to. What can you do to support us and what can we do to support you to, to start curbing this market towards the way things are going in, in advanced welding processes? That being said, you know, on our open shop districts, we're doing the same thing with our recruiting guys. We're visiting schools all across the United States, uh, especially for our mega projects that we've got you know, scattered across the North America. We, we've got to reach out to these uh, vocational school, high school, vocational school, tech colleges, uh, we go to Career Fair, Skills USA, all these things that we're trying to get involved in to curb this labor shortage and skill up. Yeah, so there's there's definitely a labor shortage and a skill shortage, right? If you can find somebody that's that's willing, sometimes they're not able. What do you guys see, or what do you think needs to happen in industry to to change this decline in in skilled tradesmen? It's it's tough. Um, there's there's two. Two things industry has, has to do. Um, I first is adapt to that this is the new normal. And that's definitely where advanced processes has come in. If you look at the manufacturing sector over the last 20, 30 years, the amount of people employed in the manufacturing sector has plummeted. I mean, it's not, not a recent phenomenon. It's been going on for a long time. But you look at industrial segment output for manufacturing and you look at GDP growth and complete opposite trend. As fewer and fewer and fewer people have worked there, output has um, increased year over year over year to the point that we've like doubled our output with like half as many people or third as many people. Construction industry has not fared the same way. If you look at a lot of ha- projects and see how welding is done and you took a snapshot and made it black and white and compared to a photo 50 years ago, you wouldn't be able to point which one's the modern construction job in some, some aspects and, and which one was the one from 50 years ago. Embracing technology really is one of those solutions. We're, we're just not going to, I think, have the people like we had at one point, and we have to do more with less. The second part of that is just continuing to make sure people understand this is a viable career path. Um, it's you're no longer about just a dirty welder under a hood. It is a technical career. It's a sophisticated career. Uh, it's a very high skill set career. And if you can really grasp it and, and understand, to some extent, code knowledge, even metallurgy and things like that, there's no telling where you can take it. Most of the people I've met in this field, in the construction industry, are all ex-trades people. They aren't you know, degreed welding engineers. They aren't mechanical engineers. It's really trades people who really took the onus on themselves to truly understand what this trade is all about. And um, I'll tell you, there's... There's a high demand across the industry for both the professional side and and the craft side. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us on Bevel Talk. We've been here with Chris and Justin from Kiwit. Please join us next time as we talk about safety on projects.